0: Hey everyone, Uh, before we get started, I want to let everyone know about what's new with Squeegee Press. Squeegee Press has now undergone its beautiful transformation to become Cold Wax Academy. And what's more, for everyone who enjoys using their special cold wax tools, all sizes of the SP Create Squeegees are now back in stock. Rebecca and her partner, Jerry McLaughlin, are also launching their online live learning sessions as part of the new membership program, and all sessions will be recorded for future viewing by members. For more information and to become a member of Cold Wax Academy, please visit their website at www.coldwaxacademy.com and click on the membership button. That's www.coldwaxacademy.com and hit the membership button. All right. Thanks, everybody. On with the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about nature's art supplies. A trip into the art supply store or website is something most of us enjoy. We're not just stocking up, but entertaining possibilities. Wondering what a new color of paint, or kind of brush, or sculptural tool could bring to our work. Exploring new materials is part of what we do as artists. But there's also a world of art materials and processes available at no cost, outside, in nature. What can be done with sticks, dirt, rocks, feathers, bones, and other bits of nature? Today we'll toss around some ideas for using natural objects as art materials and tools, and forces of nature as part of the art process. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll.
1: Hello, everyone. So, um, a few weeks ago at a, a local um, art exhibit here in New Mexico, I bought this amazing object, which is a, a large sculptural red willow basket basically, a vessel. And it's been sitting out on my sun porch, and I look at it all the time. And I just, I was just really struck by several things about it. But one thing that relates to this episode is the person who made this went out into nature and gathered red willow. And the red willow is a beautiful plant that grows here in New Mexico um, along waterways like acequias and and rivers. And it just glows all the time, like in the winter. It's a beautiful color. And so I think of this um, artist going out and gathering this um, the branches of this plant, and using his skill and nothing else to make this amazing object, and it it just strikes me as a very connect uh, direct connection with the with the landscape here. And I started thinking about this whole idea of using bits of nature and why artists like to use objects from the natural environment. Um, a while ago, we did this podcast about things artists collect, if anyone remembers that. And there was this huge category of artists collecting uh, things from nature, rocks and um, bones and shells and all these things. And it seems that a lot of us have this impulse to pick this stuff up when we're outside. And, And sometimes these things that we pick up can actually be part of what we do. And they can be tools, or they can be incorporated somehow into what we're doing. And I also thought about, and we'll get to this a little bit later in the podcast, but I also thought about artists who um, use the processes of nature, such as weather, um, to affect their work. And it's all kind of just an interesting uh, approach to making art. And one artist I wanted to mention right away before we got into some of the particulars of this, and many of you are familiar with the work of Andy Goldsworthy. And he goes into nature at all seasons and just go to this a place and look around pretty much and say, what is here? Where am I standing that I can use to make a sculpture? And these things are amazing. there are several books of his work out there, but for example, he might in the in the autumn collect a bunch of uh different colored leaves and make an incredible pattern with them on the ground and he photographs it then it's part of the work is the photography of the piece. he's made things out of um twigs, he's made things out of ice, and they're all gonna disintegrate um you know at any time, <laughs> they're very fragile. There's some interesting film of him um, working on these things too. And some of them are more solid, but a lot of the ones that I'm particularly intrigued by are just, they're passing bits of nature just like you know the seasons pass or the weather in a day passes by. And he's totally interacting with nature when he does these. So he's, he's a wonderful example. Um, and I just wanted to put him out there. But, you know, most of what we're going to talk about is, is much more mm, long lasting than that. But he's a very interesting artist.
0: Yeah. And what's really interesting about that style of producing work is um, that it's something that most children do just mm. naturally. I mean, They're making they sand do. castles or they're making forts out of sticks or something like that.
1: Yeah. And
0: it's something that, uh, you know, almost everyone I think listening to this podcast has probably done. Yeah. Um, but not but to to take it to that next level of, you know, doing it professionally and have, you know, making something that's a little bit more intricate and, um, you know, a little bit more sophisticated is uh, is really interesting. Yeah.
1: It does seem to be kind of a, a primal or a sort of elemental urge that like you say kids do this i remember making little um sort of like little fairy houses or something out of sticks and bits of moss you know and just being totally uh, intrigued by that when i was a little and i was outside and yeah what you just said snow forts i mean great example and so and and you know sticks and all that stuff and then yeah, we kind of move on and we say, well, we're going to get everything at the art supply store now. <laughs> but uh, there are a lot of people still using and enjoying and experimenting with stuff that they find, um, myself included. And I thought maybe I'd start with some of my own favorite things. And I guess there's a couple of reasons why I'm interested in doing this or why I've always just felt the urge. And one of them is that connection with nature because... Um, you know a lot of my work has to do with the response to nature to the landscape, so if I'm outside walking um and I see something, I want to pick it up and bring it back and then, if I can use that in a work of art, then it just it just feels right to me, and there's also there's some really unique aspects of some of this stuff I mean you can't even get these. Effect sometimes with anything you could buy. So you're kind of exploiting a, a totally different material that you wouldn't get at Dick Blick or whoever wherever you shop for your art supplies. This is um, unique. So a couple of my own favorite things, probably top of the list are, are things to make marks with, and that would be stuff like twigs, um, plant stalks, little bits of dead wood. And particularly here in New Mexico, there's this plant called the yucca plant that has these um, long leaves that are quite spiky when they dry. So you find the dried leaves on the ground or are still on the plant. And the tip is a really nice uh, drawing tip. And the stalk itself, or, I mean, sorry, the leaf itself is quite long. So it might be a foot long or something. So you can get that um real gestural effect by drawing with this long implement. Um anyway, each I have this whole collection of these little twigs and things. And each one has its own little quirks and its own um effect. And I'll find myself you know, working on a painting, I'll think, oh, I've got to get that one twig out and use that here. It's like it's in a pile. But after a while, I sort of recognize, oh, it's that one, you know, that one that has the three little things coming out the end or whatever. And I, I get quite fond of them. And then when they, they finally sort of break or something, I have to go out and find more. But anyway, I have a whole collection of those here in New Mexico, and I think more so than I ever have in the past. Um, there's a lot of dried plant matter here, and it's doesn't get covered up with snow and whatnot, at least where I live. So I just go out and pick it up all the time. And the other thing I've been using uh, lately is uh, using stones that have a fairly flat surface, but ones that have a bit of texture as well. And again, in New Mexico, there's endless sorts of stones. I mean, they are everywhere, right outside my studio and everywhere I walk. So I'm looking for this particular kind of surface that has a little texture but it's not real bumpy and so what I do with these is I make um, rubbings from them so I put a piece of paper down uh, on top of the stone and rub over it with um, a soft pencil so it's picking up the texture it's it's a technique called frottage it's kind of like embossing Um, and so it makes these incredible uh, textural marks and then what's been happening when I do this is the first couple times I did it, I, they started to suggest uh, torsos or figures to me. And I've been developing that idea, so I have all these little figurative studies made from stone. And there's something that I love about that because there's this connection with um, the human figure or form that and the stone, and this seems to relate to Um, my own experience being outside in these canyons and arroyos and stone formations that are all around here in New Mexico. So that whole process, you know, I just, the stone is important and the idea came out of the stone and I'm, I'm playing around with this. I'm kind of exploring it. And it's, you know, it's a little unusual for me because I don't usually deal with the human form, but that's what happened. So, um, Another material that I use quite a bit is different colors of dirt. (laughs) Um, So this is just dried dirt. And again, here in New Mexico, but it's true a lot of places, you can find dirt that has, you know, has more iron in it or something. So it's kind of red or um, there's actually some green earth I picked up up near Ghost Ranch here. And basically, I mean, it's, like powdered pigment, it's just something you can pick up. And I use this, either I mix it with cold wax medium or acrylic medium, or uh, just even just add water to it and use it like a wash. And so there's a connection again, direct connection with the landscape. Uh, similar stuff is, um, I have collections of sand that I've picked up from different beaches that I've been to and you know, it can vary so much from very fine white sand from Florida to um black beach sand that I picked up in New Zealand. Um and um different places that have some meaning to me where there's, you know, I'm I'm in sand, so I might pick up a bit when I'm there.
0: Yeah, sand is one of those things that has just incredible variation based oh, on location.
1: It's amazing um,
0: I- I remember I was in uh, the Bahamas at one point and there were pink sand beaches oh wow <laughs> um, yeah and and I've seen black sand in in California before um, and yeah like you say there's there's uh, there's so much variation in these different yeah. sediments that you can pick up everywhere and there is that really direct connection even people who are not artists um, oftentimes will take samples of of sand um, you know from a particular beach as a as a memento yeah um, you know and and things like seashells and things like that as well um but uh, as as artists um these these can be directly incorporated into what you're producing absolutely um, and give the work a little bit more of a connection, a little bit more meaning
1: yeah there's that that you know it's kind of a personal memento personal memento that you put into your work and again with the sand, it's same with the dirt or the soil is um you know I would typically mix it with cold wax medium myself, but you could anything that'll kind of bind it together and adhere it um, to your surface or whatever you're going to do with it, it's going to work. And the, yeah, like you say, the colors of sand, oh my God. Like um, that black, that black sand, uh, even if you say black sand, there's a variety of, you know, how intensely black it is. And, um, So yeah, you have that impulse that I'm going to take a little bit of this. And so I have little, you know, Ziploc bags sitting around in the studio with, with dirt or sand from different places. Uh, Another pretty much natural material that I have brought back from Ireland and use in Ireland is peat ash. And that's, you know, the ash from burning um, the turf dug from the bogs in Ireland. And, it's interesting because it's not, it has a little bit of texture to it that you don't see so much with wood ash or paper ash. Um, It's got, it's got a little grit to it and it's a beautiful color. It's kind of a buff color. And I have to give credit to um, I'm Sorry, I don't remember her name, but a student in one of my workshops there came in one day with stuff she'd taken from the fireplace and said, Hey, look at this, you know, we're going to use this. And, it sort of caught caught on in the class and a lot of people started playing around with it. And then since then, I've um, taken some from fireplace. I think the people that clean at the art center there think we're all a little crazy. They probably thought it anyway, but, you know, the artists are in there digging in the fireplaces
0: to, to retrieve the peat ash. Um, well, and ash is something that's used traditionally in pottery glazes as well. And And ash again, it has a huge variety.
1: I mean, um wood ash is gonna be different from other kinds or um, and so and, and another substance like that that I've used, which varies a lot is natural charcoal. So the last time I picked some up, I was on a beach somewhere I don't remember where, but somebody had had a campfire, and there was a lot of charred wood sitting around, and um pick some up and started drawing with it, and it has a, it's really variable, it's not consistent like charcoal that you buy at the art supply store, which is meant to be consistent, but you know, we pick something up from a fire and it's gonna, sometimes it's darker, sometimes it's lighter, sometimes it hardly makes a mark at all, and so it has this quirky kind of personal quality to it when you use it. And the last thing I wanted to mention in my own work, which, okay, I'm going to admit this um, to the podcast, was that, because it's a bit strange, I know, but when I was an undergraduate, I got into working with insects, dead insects, Um, and I remember when this started, I I was on a summer art course down in Ohio, and there was some sort of, I don't know what kind of beetle it was, but there were these kind of black shiny beetles with little horns and stuff that were that were everywhere and you'd find their little carcasses lying around and they're about, you know, an inch long or so. And I don't know what possessed me, but um I started wrapping them like little mummies with with string. And I ended up with all these beetle mummies. Okay, yes, I did make beetle mummies and I put them in little arrangements. <laughs> I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but yes, it was part of my, actually my, my, uh, <laughs> people who knew me back then know this to be true. Uh, part of my bachelor of fine arts, um, exhibit was a display of beetle mummies. You
0: showed these to other people.
1: <laughs> I did. I was quite, <laughs> I was quite proud of them. So, and, and I still have some somewhere. <laughs> it's like, and I made drawings of them, of the beetle mummies. So um anyway, whatever that impulse was to pick up dead bugs and wrap them in string, it really felt satisfying in the moment.
0: <laughs> I'm sure it did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and for a long time I collected bits of insect parts and like butterfly wings and little dried out carcasses and things and the the little mummy beetles were the only ones that ever actually turned into anything but i was fascinated by insects because they were both kind of scary i mean i'm not i'm not a, a real aficionado of insects per se i mean i don't like want to pet them or anything but um I've always thought they were beautiful in their own bizarre way. And so it's this kind of edge between um, being a little scary and very, very alien and being fascinating and beautiful. So that's a bit of a side trip there. But just to say, there really, uh, you know, there's things out there that might inspire you that you wouldn't even realize until you started messing around with them.
0: Well, real quick, I want to take a minute to talk about our mid roll ad read. Um, for those things that, uh, that you can buy at the art supply store, uh, please use blick.com and use our affiliate link. It's www.messystudiopodcast.com slash blick. And you can access the main blick site through that link and we'll get 10% back, um, from your, from your purchase. So it's a great way to support the show, um, with, uh, by just participating in your regular art practice and buying your art supplies like normal. Um, So once again, that's www.messystudiopodcast.com slash Blick for all the things that you can't find uh, in nature, like bug parts. Um, (laughs) And uh, and this way you can contribute to the show as well. All right. So... uh, Back to the bug parts. Um, yes.
1: <laughs> I think actually, Russ, I'm done talking about that.
0: Okay. <laughs> There's no <laughs> more to on. say. There's no more to say. Well, it is really interesting that what you can find and what you can incorporate in nature and how a lot of us just have these urges that aren't really linked to any intention for how we're going to use this stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh uh, bug collecting is is a celebrated practice um you know not everyone mummifies their insects with uh with string um but uh but it's it's very common for people to collect interesting bugs and for sure. uh, you know murder them with uh with alcohol and uh, and then mount them with yes. uh with sharp points into a board and i don't think that that's any less odd than what you were doing really well that's um, true and it's kind of more
1: horrifying because mine were already dead but anyway
0: yeah um, yeah <laughs> you weren't you weren't actively murdering these I insects was not. and then i was using turning them into mummies that's and true. collecting them yes um but uh <laughs> yeah,
1: but you're right like butterfly wings have been used in different Forms of art for a long, long centuries and other cultures and yeah, so on. Yeah, a
0: lot of these things have. And feathers. Been. Yeah, I, um, I remember yeah. as kids um, collecting um, leaves and uh, pressing them between pieces oh, of clear yeah. contact paper.
1: Yeah, we used to do that also with wax paper and put, run an
0: iron yeah, over it. Yeah, and you iron it yeah and then oh, you can yeah. you can incorporate that into all kinds of different little craft o- things, you know different craft objects and projects. Um, well, and you know and, it's true uh, that and also uh, something that's a very traditional thing to do, um, like we were talking about with sediments and things like that um, is uh, and and oftentimes people do this with um, with flowers um, is uh, uh, encase them in um, epoxy. Right. Uh, so you can find very like traditional jewelry. I have I have some stuff that I gave to Kara that was like this with little tiny flowers that are encased in epoxy and then um, formed into a, a mold in in, in uh, like a, a silver bezel of some type that's going to hold it together. Um, and so that's, that's something that's, a, you know, kind of a traditional jewelry technique. Right. Um, and uh, you could use that for inlay in virtually anything if you want to mix up some of this, uh, you know, Special sand or special pigment with some epoxy, and then use it, incorporate it into your, um, into whatever kind of piece you're doing.
1: Right. And yeah, there's this whole realm of, of craft use of natural objects and, uh, kids and, and little projects for children, uh, like the leaf, um, things and you put them in the window and, and it's, they're, you know, kind of, um, I think, again, getting back to that urge to to take bits of nature and preserve them somehow because there's this beauty that, you know, in some ways we can't achieve as artists. Sometimes I look at um, rocks or shells or anything like that and I think – why do I bother, you know, why do I bother trying to make art when these incredible bits of nature are everywhere, you know? And so there's this kind of human desire to grab onto them and do something with them and make them our own. Yeah.
0: Take things that are already beautiful and already made by nature. Yeah. (laughs) um, And and we, but then as artists, we can take them and we can elevate them. We can um, mix them with some human intention and some, um, you know, some ingenuity and we can create things that are uniquely human out of natural objects.
1: Yeah. True enough. Um, yeah. So I, I wanted to run through a few other ideas of um, ways that artists use natural materials, not myself so much, but things I've seen in other people's work. Um, so a lot of people figure out how to use leaves and grasses for, for printmaking, like you can ink them up and press them in onto paper or uh you know, press into something soft like clay. Um, I mentioned mixing things with cold wax medium or acrylic medium. Really anything that's um, dried organic matter, you can do that with. Uh, Clay artists often dig natural clay, you know, just going out into the landscape and finding it. Uh, There's an art form that's kind of intriguing in which you actually take a dead fish and ink up the fish and make prints with it. (laughs) Some of those are quite beautiful, and it doesn't have to be a fish. It could be um, other forms of sea life or something else. It's, um, yeah, I don't want to go into that too much, but it's, I know people that do this. Um, making ink or dye out of natural plants, um, walnut ink is a, is very popular for drawing. And I've even taken just a recently, just picked up a walnut off the ground, peel it, um, is from a tree, and use the um whatever's right on inside there under the skin of the walnut from the tree to to just draw with. It's a very intense kind of yellowish color. So uh, lots of people use natural stuff in collage. You know, maybe like a bit of wasp nest or feathers, leaves. Um, all kinds of things can be done with three-dimensional work, you know, found found objects in nature as part of a sculpture, stones and bones and um, the willow that I mentioned. And then just to mention also that stone carving and wood carving, obviously using this natural material, and a lot of times that would be something that would be purchased, but there are people using um you know, stone that they find or or wood that they find for that sort of thing. But the and the last thing I wanted to mention before we wrap up, getting back to the idea I mentioned at the beginning about processes, like subjecting your artwork to nature, um, as a way of nature's actually part of the process of making the work. And I know of artists that um deliberately weather say uh, a painting or um, something on paper, putting it out in the sun, putting it out in the rain, uh, vulnerable surfaces or burying them and letting nature have its effect on the surface. So um, kind of an interesting interaction there and then bringing it back to the studio and and working on it some more. Um, There's also artists working with rust as a natural process. And you can make um, uh, prints with rust by taking metal objects and putting vinegar, salt on them to release the rust and then just laying that out on paper or fabric and it'll transfer to the surface. And then you can use that for collage or you can paint or draw on top of it. And that's a whole fascinating way of, you know, it's, it's not exactly, you don't know what's going to happen when you do this, and then you get this interesting print from that. Um, or using objects that are already weathered in sculpture or something. And the artist, the Irish artist, Nuala Clark, has done an installation that she calls the Mariner's Laundry in which she's using bits of um, cloth that's picked up on the beach in Ireland. And so it's all weathered and salt and crusted and whatnot. And she hangs it out in the weather and lets the rain wash it, and then it becomes part of her work. Um, Using using rainwater, using river water as part of a piece, say watercolor or water-based media, and you wouldn't necessarily know that looking at the piece, where the water came from, but the artist knows it. And I remember sitting by this river um, when I was in Spain years ago, and I didn't have any water to paint with, but I brought watercolors and taking water from the river and just feeling this lovely connection that I'm using this river water in the painting. Um, And the last thing I wanted to mention is fire. Um, There are techniques of, Salvador Dali developed a technique he called um, sfumage and other artists have done this many times is you take a candle or different di- different types of candles and you collect the soot coming off the candle flame on a piece of paper. And I Googled this because I knew about it, but I'd never really looked at this stuff. And it's quite interesting. You can make all kinds of amazing patterns on the paper. And again, um, working over them if you want, painting over it, um, drawing over it but the soot itself is forming the basis for your drawing. And then finally, I, I wanted to see what other people were doing with fire. And I came across this guy on YouTube that was making patterns um, on an acrylic surface. He would painted a canvas with different um, acrylic color. And then he put matchsticks all over the top of this and lit them. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: It it was quite amazing.
0: We'll have it, to put a link to that in the uh in the description yeah, of the episode. It's about
1: it's about ten minutes of watching this canvas top burn. And in the end, there are parts of the canvas that burn through and other parts that just revealed the underlying um colors of the acrylic. And it it's it's pretty interesting. Um and I know other artists have used gunpowder and other forms of, you know, explosive or fire to create images and so i guess i kind of end with that because it's rather
0: dramatic (laughs) all right well do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode um i would just say
1: be open to expanding your own vision for what nature and natural processes might bring to your work it's kind of exciting um we just kind of mentioned a few ideas here Um, And I think when we put this episode up, if anybody listens and wants to add a comment about something that they've played around with, um, definitely do so. We'll put this on our Facebook page. It's basically just an interesting way to bring your own experiences of nature and natural processes and forces into your works or kind of interacting with nature in this way that opens up some some good ideas
0: all right well that just about wraps up this episode of the messy studio for more from the messy studio please check out www.messystudiopodcast.com and sign up for the email list you can also find the messy studio on facebook as well as public profiles for both rebecca kroll and myself ross tickner for more from rebecca kroll please check out www.rebeccakroll.com and cold wax academy at www.coldwaxacademy.com and sign up for the email lists to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. The Messy Studio Podcast is a core publication management production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise.
1: Thanks, everybody.